Hello. Grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. IOANCAP. And Jeff, a.k.a. not doing the introduction, will join us in a second. Uh, as I said in the last episode, we had to cut the episode in half because we went a little long talking about the Ephesian Church. Um, and so we're going to get back into it shortly. Uh, we're coming in in the middle of a point um, that... Jeff and I are making about uh, the Ephesian church have fallen away from their first love is what uh, is what the text is talking about. And we've just gotten done talking about the first option of what that love could be. So like it could be, we've said, referring to uh, the love of God as a possible reading. So, Basically, they've gotten so wrapped up in talking about, you know, doctrine about God or truths about God or facts about God, um, scripture or otherwise, and yet they've forgotten um, that God is what? Well, they're their God, and have forgotten to love Him. And now we said that this is probably not what the text is referring to. But it is something that happens, and so it was worth bringing up. Uh, the second possible understanding of what the word love, what 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 love they're falling away from, is like the first in that it, it's also probably not what the text is referring to, but it's still worth talking about, and we're gonna get into that right now. And so, uh, let's get into the show. Um. Right. And also, I think the second reading, second most common reading, or, or, or similarly, that I think is also incorrect, is the second commandment reading, which I think is closer to the to the actually what he's talking about, which is the idea that you, that you you're not loving other people. Um, I don't think that's what he's talking about, but I think that's common because, um, well, there's there's kind of a good and a bad reason. The good reason is we felt that ourselves, that I felt that I mm -hmm. love. My ideas more than I love people and uh, that's a risk that's a risk like that's I think that's the reason why you'll hear um, guys like James White talking about how uh, apologists need to be in the church active in the church they need to be uh, doing more than just arguing with unbelievers or heretics they also need to be teaching the Sunday school <laughs> they need to be teaching the Trinity to third graders and to to older ladies like I think one of the most valuable things that I've ever done is uh, get involved in um, uh, nursing home ministry there's something so beautiful about um, ministering to um, saints who are looking into eternity who are close who are very aware of the the coming of death and eternity and they just want they just they don't have time for debates about this or that and everything they need some kind of comfort as they look to the end of their life and it's important because it helps me it makes me a better bible teacher when i go back to my youth group or when i go back to my congregation because i've i've spent time with these dear saints who are looking to eternity and are just looking for some comfort as they as they as they look into what what to us often feels like staring into the abyss, um, but to remind mm -hmm. them that that's not what they're staring into, and uh, 
And I think that's a good reason. The bad reason is I think we can selfishly start to attribute motives to people who've been mean to us or people who have have dis- have maybe rebuked us. Well, they weren't being loving. They might have been. And I don't want to I never want to uh deny the possibility because I think we know that we can sometimes do it ourselves. And so certainly if we do it ourselves, other people have had it done to them. But I also never want to enable you to deny God speaking to you through someone else. They may have said it unlovingly when they should have been loving. They might have been entirely loving and you yourself were just not liking being uh, rebuked. Uh, In both situations, it doesn't matter if it's from the word, if, if it's the word of the Lord, you need to consider it. Right. You, you can't say right. if, if someone catches you or someone finds out that you're sleeping with your girlfriend and they call you on it, it doesn't matter what their tone was. They called you right. out on sin and you need to respond to it. If you are a believer in Jesus, you need to repent. You need to amend your ways. I'm not going to, you're not, you're not getting off the hook because someone's supposed to be nice to you. That's just what it is. Right. You, you need to repent of your sin. And so that's a part of the reason, because I think we all, we all want an excuse for that to ignore right. that, uh, rebuke that we all received. Uh, but in, in best case scenarios, yeah. I think it's because we all feel that we have yeah. in our pursuit of truth. Yeah. I think there's people. a temptation to re- to read into this, like the false dichotomy. Yeah. Um, between, um, between being loving, being loving, and caring about rebuking false doctrine. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, and uh, and I think we've, I think yeah. we've beaten to death that. Yeah, and I think <laughs> we got ahead the, of that one. <laughs> those that has to be a, that has to be a trade off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, not even just about truth, but I think you know, talking about sin. If someone calls you out on your sin, you don't get to say, "Well, their tone was mean." Right? No, if they're right, yeah, if yeah. they open, if they open the scripture and they showed you from scripture that you're sin, that you're in sin, and that's a word from the Lord. It doesn't matter what their tone was. They're right. You need to repent. On the way, maybe you can say, and you should also repent for your tone, but you should repent. <laughs> but I think, and this is where um, Beale, what Beale thinks. And of course, because Beale thinks it, I assume it's right. Uh, but <laughs> his what his take is that what we're talking about with the first love um, is the witness of the faith to the unbelieving world. And and this, ooh, this hits close to home for us reform types. <laughs> <laughs> the kids this is the one that's like oof i felt that one <laughs> that we like to emphasize contending for the truth and then we're like so uh when have you shared when did you last share your faith with an unbeliever ooh ooh yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh so so basically he he picks up on the fact that wh- he, he connects it to how Jesus reveals himself. Like, yes, there's the, the threat of taking away the lampstand. That's why he's the one who walks in the lampstand. And yet there's the com- combination of lampstand and angels, the angels who witness and the 
witness to the churches so that the churches can witness to the world. They shine the light of Christ to this world. And there's a, I think there's, I think he's right that there's a theme and, and he says the theme is all over all of the, 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 the letters. But here we see there is a, there's not a, they have not lost their love for Christ. They have not necessarily lost their love for other, for others in the sense of loving the church. But it is very easy when the world around you hates you to then stop sharing the gospel with them. That Mm. is potentially the hardest line to walk is at the same time, prophetically speaking and rebuking the wickedness of the world while still holding out the grace of Christ. It's, it's so easy for us to look at those cops coming in the door of the church to shut, to lock the doors, to kick the congregation out and to say, screw them. But how much courage does it take to be like, um, like pastor Hildebrandt and to let them in the church and give him a sermon and proclaim Yes, that he proclaimed judgment and condemnation to them. And then he steps out the church and he offers them grace. You can repent and join us. I just I like he's walking toward the 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 street with all of the journalists and the the other cops out there and he says, "You can stop doing this. You're on the wrong side." And you can turn at this moment. You can repent and come to Christ and you can you can Stand with us in proclaiming the truth. You can stand with us against this tyranny. Like that's, you can do both. And we need to be, we need to do both. This is not an either or. We rebuke the wolves and we speak to the sheep, but we remember that there are still sheep who are lost. I have Mm -hmm. sheep. Jesus says, I have sheep. Who are not yet of this flock. They are already his sheep. And when they hear his voice. They will respond as his sheep. But they're still out. Wandering in the world. And. And that's still the case now. Like this is. One beautiful part. Of the doctrines of grace. And and of the scriptural teaching. Of election and predestination. Is that we know. That he has people. He has elect that have not yet proclaimed faith. There are three types of people when it comes down to it in the world that I will be preaching to on any given Sunday. There's the believing regenerate elect. There's the hard hearted, the hard hearted reprobate who will never come to Christ. And there's the unregenerate elect, those who belong to Christ and have not yet heard the gospel in a way that that the spirit uses to cause to bring them to faith and repentance they still exist in the world and they might well be 
the soldier dragging the Christian into the the the, the, the into the Colosseum. They might well be the per the the soldier nailing Jesus to the cross. They might well be the guy watching the cloaks as they murder Stephen. They might be the guy coming to Damascus to put Christians in prison. Like the, the unbelieving, unregenerate elect might be the guy, might be the cop putting Pastor Tim Stevens into a cop car. Which is why that Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, who of all people recognizes how that transformation can happen, can say it's prayers for all kings and all who are in authority yes. <laughs> um, for um, because uh, um, God want uh, God wants all these all these kinds of people to repent yeah. and come to the truth. The unregenerate um, elect. Yeah. One of the unregenerate elect might well be the heir to the throne of the guy who is killing you. Right. <laughs> like, let's take the positive interpretation of Constantine. It might well be that he is the heir to the throne of the beast. And so we pray right. for them. We pray for them because it could well be that the wicked, terrible man sending our children to die overseas is an unregenerate elect who could be brought to mm. gri- to, mm-hmm. to faith and grace. And so even as I despise the evil of, of the current regime, I pray, or I should, I, I should pray. Uh, this is me confessing publicly. Mm-hmm. I don't. I should pray for the souls of of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and of all their their crew, their their whole regime, that the Lord could lead them to repentance. And I, I am certain that this would result in a change. Maybe not perfect change, but it result in change. And so we should pray for them and we should proclaim disaster and condemnation. I, I was telling uh, Jeff before we went on that I had the opportunity, the, the privilege of preaching Micah two this morning in, in, uh, in worship. And uh, one of the points that I made was um, it's 10 verses of condemnation followed by two verses of, of or 11 verses of condemnation followed by two verses of restoration And yet there's a verse in the middle of the condemnation where he says, do not my words do good to those who walk uprightly. And, and I, 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 one of my points was to remember the grace of the preaching of condemnation, the grace of the preaching of condemnation, that the law is a grace and that it reveals our sin and it drives us Mm -hmm. to repentance and drives us to the cross to find forgiveness, to find the merciful God in Christ Jesus. Um, there is a grace of condemnation and we preach the condemnation in hopes that God will turn their heart. This is Peter acts two. He gets up and he says this Jesus whom you crucified. You right. according to the 
definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He's, he does not mince words. He is clear that the mob of Jerusalem are the ones who executed Jesus, who did perform the worst, most heinous sin of all time. And many in that hearing, in the hearing of that, heard that condemnation and were cut to the heart and said, brother, what must we do to be saved? And so preaching sin and condemnation Yes, it is a tool by which God uses that that God uses in order to harden their heart and to make them fully aware of their sin in condemnation. Yes, it is a tool that God uses not just for who we're preaching to so that those hearing it will be warned away from their sin, but also it is a tool by which God cuts them to the heart, drives them to repentance so that they can turn and see and f- and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Um, and so let's right. let's not lose our first love, the most important thing that we do, which is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yeah, and one of the strongest texts for for everything we've been talking about is, uh, um, so I had talked about first first Timothy two, but actually second Timothy two. <laughs> um uh paul paul says uh uh however god's solid foundation um uh remains firm and standing it, it, it's and uh and uh, saying this the lord knows who are his and and then um and then later he says um but reject foolish and ignorant controversies uh, because, uh, you know, they breed nothing but infighting. Yeah. Um, and the, the Lord's bond slave must, uh, must not engage in, uh, worthless disputes, but be kind toward all an apt teacher, patient, uh, correcting opponents with gentleness for, for perhaps God will grant them repentance and, the knowledge of the truth and they will come to their senses and escape the devil's snare having been held by him to do his will. Um, so that, so that even, even these false teachers who, who we have, uh, correctly said, so, you know, we, this, uh, um, this passage talks about not being in, in pointless disputations with them, um, and 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 not being overly harsh with them, but we've correctly said there is a certain level of harshness um, that is uh, um, that and, is due to these. But the, and less of the things that you think are pointless disputations are point as pointless as you think they are. Sure. Clear about that. <laughs> sure. Some people like to put actual important debates into the category of pointless arguments. Continue. <laughs> right. Right. We've always we've already talked to talked about the uh, um, the SBC this episode, so I'll I'll say uh, that, for instance, in case you haven't gotten from our earlier comments about. Uh, how important the doctrine of the Trinity is, and how, and how well it's, it's taught that um, um, that uh, getting the doctrine of the Trinity wrong is not a pointless disputation. Um, <laughs> the first church, um, the early church, called it heresy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, but um, but anyway, um, so uh, yeah, the um, what what was the point I was making? <laughs> but that, uh, but but that, but that even these very false teachers, who who some some level of harshness is appropriate with right um paul is tempering that when he's talking uh, talking to timothy saying that even these people god knows who are who are his maybe these people being the very captives of the devil (laughs) um could come to their senses and come to repentance as were we all we were all under yeah. the power of the devil, following the course of the prince of the power of the air. Every one of us, mm-hmm. before, uh, but God, being rich in mercy. Uh, right. Like that's there's, but for the grace of God, go I. Is is that the saying? But it's so true. It's uh but and that's why he's he's calls them in the very next verse. Right. Remember, therefore, mm-hmm. from where you have fallen. Repent, and the fir- the former works, do them. Do the former works. Do what you did before. Turn, repent. That word repent means literally to turn around. It's a change of mind resulting in a change of direction. It starts with the mind. It starts with changing the way you think and results in a change of orientation of your life. And so he's calling them to turn back away from this this insulate insular overly insular focus like it's it is good to start i think there's a, a healthy amount of inward focus that a church should have of discipleship of correction of of look after the church first i think there's a lot in the scriptures speaking to that but you can become over inward and they need to be repenting of this over inwardness and this over failure uh, repenting of this failure to offer the gospel and and then they need to change and do the works you did at first um to return to that and uh and there's a risk if they don't and if not i'm coming to you and that's what it says i will come to you it says literally i am coming it's a present mm-hmm. i'm coming to you and I'm removing your lamp. Or that is actually a future. And I will remove your lamp from its place if you do not repent. So th- w- when you see repetition, note it. <laughs> this is repetition here. Saying repent. And if you don't repent, repent is, qu- is twice. That is an intensification. That's an important um, importance. Remember that. Notice that. There's a call to repent. This is mm-hmm. this this failure to proclaim the gospel is not a cute quirk. It is a sin against the call of our King. Our King is conquering this world through the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword that is which is the gospel of God, the Word of God proclaimed, and we are failing. To go to war on behalf of our king. We're failing to listen to our king's instruction. 
It's not, it's not cute. It's not a small thing if we are not about the business of proclaiming the gospel. Now, does that mean that every single person shares the gospel just as much? No. There are some people who have the gift of evangelism, who, are, who are, have the duty of an evangelist, who are, for them, it is a lifestyle, a constant lifestyle. And I think one way, this is something that I've some, said sometimes, is that the best way to know if you have the gift of evangelism is, fig, is to pray for opportunities every day to evangelize and see how often God answers that prayer. If he answers that prayer daily, right. I knew a guy who would pray for evangelism and then he'd get frustrated that he couldn't leave his office. He got stuck, bogged down at the office, couldn't get out to try and meet some people to share the gospel with. And then a drunk man walks into his office accidentally went in the wrong door and he said, friend, can I help you? And there it is. Gospel. He's able to share the gospel. And so like, yeah, he has the gift of evangelism. If he's not sharing the gospel, uh, at least five times a week, he is in sin. Me. I'm a pastor of a church. I mostly share the gospel with believers. That's mostly my job. And so I am not as I'm not called to share the gospel as much. My role in the church is to train others to share the gospel. However, if I'm in a situation where I should share the gospel and I make no attempt to, then yes, I am at sin. I am in sin. And if I'm preaching the gospel to a, to what I know is a mixed crowd and I fail to mention the grace of Jesus Christ, or if I'm preaching to what might possibly be a mixed crowd and I fail to preach the grace of Jesus Christ to be received by faith and the call to repent and believe in him, then I have sinned. Um, I was at a, <laughs> I went to a winter retreat with my youth group this year at a church camp and uh, it got to the end of the weekend and uh, I had been approached by the, the speaker who was a nice man but maybe does not come from the same uh, theological worldview as me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he did a lot of things that weekend, but the gospel was not central. And he had asked me to share a little something at the end of the week. And I was, okay, all right, I can say a little something. And as I'm about to walk up there, one of my uh, adult leaders who is also a good friend of mine. Um, he might be watching this episode. I don't know. He might. Um, but he, a good friend of mine, he says to me as I'm walking up, well, good. So someone's going to preach the gospel to him, right? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know, man. I mean, that's like, I mean, they're just asking me to kind of put a bow on the weekend. I'm not really like sharing. I'm not really doing a big, a big sharing time. I'm not, I don't want to go up there and start, you know, contradicting. But so there, you know, I don't know. This is my place in the weekend. And I'm just, but I'm about to walk up there. And I'm like, nope, he's uh, he's right. That was <laughs> that was the rebuke of the Lord through my brother, uh, through my dear brother. Uh, and I went up there and I said, and I still said the kind of things that the pre prepared remarks it was a short five minute thing that I had had a planned on speaking, but at the end I had to add in. All right, and everything we're talking about, it's all built on one foundation, and here it is. And I shared the gospel with them. <laughs> because 
He was right. If I would have gotten up there and done exactly what I was asked to do and not shared the gospel, I would have done exactly what I was asked to do and I would have sinned against my God. Because that is what we were called to do. <laughs> right. And so, well, and I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you make the distinction between the gift of evangelism and the basic duty of evangelism. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like that, that a lot of the things that are, that are described as particular gifts in the new Testament are expected of every believer, like mm -hmm. faith, <laughs> yeah. that faith there, there are people with the gift of faith. They are yeah. able to believe on God for more than the the average Christian is. But yeah. every Christian has the grace of faith <laughs> yes. that you are able to trust on God in a way that is unnatural to yes. you. I, I may um, not have the gift of hospitality or giving, but if I see my brother without clothing, without without food, without right. water, and I don't feed them, I am uh I cannot say that the love of God abides in me. Right. I need to show hospitality right. to that person. I need to give to them, even though I may not have that gift. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's important. To, uh, but I think there's an important distinction because I think sometimes we forget that there is an actual gift of evangelism, that there right. are people who are specifically gifted by God, that they are the ones who God answers that prayer. Give me someone to preach to. And uh, we have a few people, I think, in, in the current church that I'm part of who have that gift. And um, I'm kind of one, one burden on my heart as I'm trying to figure out how do we encourage that gift and how do we train that gift? Because mm. so I think sometimes we also fail those people with that gift by making them pastors. And so they're they they learn this new job of discipleship to a congregation and their soul shrivels up because they're not sharing their gift because we turned an evangelist into a pastor. And uh, mm. a lot, I've met a lot of people who are like that, who clearly they had the gift of evangelism. And so the church didn't know what to do with them, so we sent them to seminary. And then uh, one of two things happens. Either their soul shrivels up because they're not using their gift or they use their gift and the church is not served as a pastor because they need a pastor who is serving the building up of the church. Right. And so either the church is harmed by them not doing their job or their soul shrivels up because they're not using their gift. And I think we need to, which that's something the church needs depending to on the seminary, depending on the seminary might, might be the best you could have hoped for. Um, <laughs> Well, there, there are worse things that can happen. There are worse things that can happen when you send a kid to seminary. Yeah, to cemetery. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's. I think we can finish this. So, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So that's the the risk. That's the worry. Is that if they don't repent, this is a serious thing. Even though they are contending for the faith, if they fail to be a witness and a light in the world, to be about the business of proclaiming the gospel to the unbelieving world, Christ says, the one who walks in the lampstands, the one who gives, sends out the star of the angel to give the word to the, to, to, to the church, will pluck it out and take it away. And by which, by which we should say, we could say he will remove his protection. Remember that Jesus said, 
I will establish my church and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And he will never remove his full protection from the church. The church will always exist. There will always be a people of God on earth until Christ returns and the whole world is the church of God. But he will remove his protection from local congregations. And that's what he's talking about. It's this lampstand will be taken away. This, this body that calls itself a church will cease to be a church because the spirit of God and the word of Christ will no longer dwell there. This is something that the Reformation, um, in the Reformation, they were challenged by, well, what is it that makes a true church? It's not this sort of the, the, the Catholic understanding of apostolic secession. What is it? And they said they, they, they searched the scriptures and they saw that it's 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 the gift. It's the ability to wield the keys. It's wielding the keys. That's what that's what Christ gives to the church to unlock the church, to unlock the doors of heaven by preaching the gospel and to close the the doors of heaven through church discipline. That is. Uh, giving the the declaration on behalf of the church that we do not we doubt your profession of faith due to your actions and your in, in, impenitent heart, and uh, and also that they practice the ordinances that they practice baptism and the Lord's Supper. Oh my gosh, this is definitional of the church. We're right back to where we started. You can't have a church if you're not having communion. That's not what you. That's not what a church is. A church is not a a a, a a a mutual admiration society. It isn't a Zoom group. We Jeff and I are not a church. Like I love my brother Jeff. I'm glad we do this thing. We are not a church. Um, you guys who watch this episode, we love you. We're not a church. I'm not your pastor. Right. We're not preaching the gospel to you. You got to be in a local congregation that gathers around the table, that baptizes new believers, that opens the door to heaven through preaching the gospel in the word of God. And they close the door through church discipline, AKA excommunication. When it needs, when someone uh, reveals themselves through, uh, through impenitence in the face of, uh, of, of calls to repentance for serious sins, it's not for like okay, so you you uh, you know you you're gossiping and and uh, so you're out. I caught you gossiping. You're out. No, it's serious sins, serious impenitent sins, in the face of calls for repentance, on behalf of the whole church, they they shut them out. J Paul says, give them over to the devil in hopes that we might save his soul. That's what that's church discipline. Um, again, we're, it's not being mean; it's doing their job. Uh, if you need to be part of a church that does that, if your church doesn't do that, it's not a church. Got to find a church. I know that's right. a it's a hard thing to say, right. but but this is what Jesus is right. saying. There might and come we, a day we can't do that for you. John Piper can't do that for you right. unless you go to Bethlehem Baptist. Well, and he's not the pastor of oh, Bethlehem no, no, no. Baptist anymore. But he's um, elder. Um, anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, 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 fair. Um, wait, I thought he was retired. Just kidding, just kidding. Don't kill me. Um, uh, <laughs> Collecting seashells. Um, um, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Writing 1,200-page books, same deal. Um, anyway. Um, um, but, uh, uh, but anyway, like, so, like, your favorite, um, your favorite uh, TV or YouTube or podcast preacher um, can't do these things for you. Like you need, um, you, you need, you need someone who, who can press these things into your life in person. Yes. Yes. Like praise the Lord that we have things like podcasts and we can watch recorded sermons from around the country as a supplement to what you get at a local church. But it's a supplement. It's not. It's not. It's like what's the supplement to a meal? If all you do is sit down and eat sup and take supplemental pills, that's not going to keep you fed. You need to have an right. actual meal. Like praise the Lord for supplements, but do not th- confuse that for uh, for a meal. I, there was a church where I came from, uh, where I was. Well, okay, I'll say it. From Sioux Falls, I was in Sioux Falls at the church. It's a big church that had multiple campuses and had a, a live stream and uh, we heard about how they bap- they had a woman fly in from New York to be baptized because this was her church she'd been watching them online and she had come to faith and they they were like can you believe this what God is doing and at that point I said that ain't God this w- <laughs> if you are going to be if you take seriously your job as a pastor, if anyone who takes it seriously, their job as a pastor and a shepherd of her soul would say, Whoa, praise the Lord that you were saved through our preaching, but find a local church. You need to be baptized by a church. That's going to walk with you. That's going to see you out in the community. That's going to check in on you in person can look you in the eyes and make sure that you are remaining faithful. And that, and that understands the context in which you live. Like, what does Sioux Falls know about living in New York? No idea about what living faithfully in New York looks like. You need, to, you need someone who does to walk alongside you. And I, I shuddered for the soul of the pastors leading that church because that is a huge dereliction of duty. You've got to... Well... Yeah. And our our church covenant says that that uh, that we promise that when we leave this place, we will join ourselves yes. to another like-minded fellowship. Um, yes. Probably a lot of churches have borrowed a very similar covenant to this because it's it's the nine marks covenant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, which is itself uh, based on which is itself based on a older church covenant from uh, yes I for, yes I forget what it's called, but there nine marks is borrowing from an older church covenant. Or updated yeah, that's right. Like that's right. Stuff. Yeah, um, and, but so so then so then that implies that when when you're promising that when you leave this place you'll be joined to a like-minded fellowship, the that implies that you are getting getting something in this place that would not be possible if you were not in this place. That that you then need to find in a new place if you're in a new place. <laughs> um, 
so um so the I mean we come back again to the uh the meeting of the the meeting of the church uh that or the the church <laughs> the church is inextricably physical yes and that's the thing that we never had to emphasize until now. Well, that's not true. We've had to no. emphasize it, but I don't feel like it's become as dire to emphasize as it is now. Yeah. And uh, and we are in serious danger for the sake of our soul because, again, <laughs> bringing it full circle again, there is nothing that is merely physical, nor is there anything that is merely spiritual. That's right. What is spiritual is physical, right. and what is physical is spiritual. And so spiritual growth means physical presence. And it's, it's not possible otherwise. And, uh, we gotta, we gotta get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I think we can finish this. I think we're, we're bringing Absolutely. it home. Let's we're do bringing it. it home. And, and <laughs> I'll say this. Okay. But this you have that you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Oh, I'm moving the screen again. My bad. I sometimes get confused about where my mouse is. Um, yet this I have yet, that, but this you have. So he returns to a positive thing. Um, Nicolaitans are going to come up again later. And so I think we, we can save that for a later time, which it's, it's okay. Sure. But, but it's interesting that the positive thing is that you hate who Jesus hates. Yes. Yes. So you have in this, in this passage, you have a first love that they're to repent and return to and an abiding hate that they're being praised for. <laughs> um, and that, and the, uh, um, and they are not contradictory that, yes, that, um, I, because we're recording on Father's Day, I, I, um, I put up a, a short little Father's Day message, uh, message about this, that, that the, the book of Proverbs is framed as advice from a father to a yes. son and, and and he sets out three great loves that are inextricably bound to these three great hates that yes. if if you um if you love wisdom you will hate folly yeah if you love god you will hate evil mm -hmm. and if you love your wife you will hate the harlot now i turn that into hate adultery for 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 Facebook, Twitter purposes, just to make it a little easier um, to, but, but, but the terminology most typically in Proverbs is that you will hate the harlot yep. because you love your wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do I not? Psalm 139 says, do I not hate those who hate you? Oh Lord. And do mm -hmm. I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete or you could say perfect hatred. 
I count them my yeah. enemies. There's no rebuke of those verses in the text. We don't find out later in the psalm, I was wrong to think that way. That is <laughs> right. He is right mm-hmm. to, to hate them, to consider God's enemies his own enemies. And that is why when we hear later about the prostitute and we hear of her of her destruction her utter destruction and hallelujah her smoke goes up forever we praise mm-hmm. the lord and when we hear about mm-hmm. god pouring out the bowls of his judgment immediately we praise the lord for it and when israel watched well the the, the, waters, the response of sorry when when israel watched the waters of the red sea cover the mm-hmm. last chariot they praise the Lord. The horse praise the Lord who has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Yeah. yeah. And the response, the response of the most holy people in this book to when to when God does bring his judgment and wipe out the guilty is finally, finally. finally. <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, and so, um, so yeah, let's, we, we can talk about the Nicolaitans next time because we, I mean, I think these things we've said, I think these things will go more quickly once we've set this, yeah, set yeah. this pattern up. Um, but, uh, um, but, but let's at least observe. Um, that absolutely the, the, the main, so, so they have works, toil, patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. Mm -hmm. You cannot tolerate, you cannot, you, you, um, uh, you cannot bear with those who are evil. Uh, tolerate is another fair translation there. That's why sure. I say that. Um, um, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and yeah. found them to be false. Um, yeah. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. And then, and then, then he goes into the bad things, and then when he's back in the good things, this you have. You hate the words, works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then, and then he's he's done listing qualities that the church has, uh, one way or the other. And I think this is the other reason I've referred to as to why um, he. Uh, identifies himself as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands is that um, this preserving from the, this uh, this this preserving ordering holding fast that Jesus is doing here this is um, th- so they're supposed to recognize that their ability to 
hold fast, their ability to preserve um, is is based in their head, based in Jesus. That that I think yeah. so. That's I think the other reason um, yeah. is is that so the the look look how look how closely endurance and um and being separate from evil are in yeah. in these uh, in these verses and so so yeah. what it, the the concept that that has in common throughout the rest of the new testament is being being held by jesus being the being preserved <laughs> by the holy spirit being held by the father no one can snatch him out of my hand yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and uh um and so i think that's um uh i think that's the other thing that's go going on here is uh um is that he's seeing or he's he's showing he's showing them the um that that these these uh these good quality and well and of course um the one who conquers is also um a, a type of uh, a type of perseverance i suppose yeah um absolutely. uh absolutely. even even that is uh even that is connected um yeah. connected here but to to being to being held in his right hand i mean i think that i think that and the, so the the golden lampstands he makes that connection in this in the sense that um he's the one maintaining the lampstands he's the one who could remove a lampstand if a lampstand need, needs to be removed um uh you know he um he's identifying himself as the only one who does this work um here like um, if you get on, if you get on an elevator and say, and it says it, this elevator can only be serviced by a technician from such and such company is that it's, 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 that's what, that's what the, that's what the church, <laughs> that's what the, the churches say. <laughs> There's a, a little placard on the churches that say these can only be serviced by Jesus. He's, a, he's the only one who can maintain and, 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 and remove or, 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 uh, or tinker with and keep these, uh, keep the patient endurance running on, uh, on this operation. Um, so anyway, I think that's, yeah. um, I think that's the other thing going on here yeah. and that, uh, and that it's, 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 um, that these, these ideas are all held together. This idea of, um, being held by Jesus of per, uh, patient endurance and of um not tolerating evil all these are kind of of the same they're 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 being conceptually uh bound together in this passage mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and yeah that's a, that's a good that's very important and, and and part of the reason we're coming back to the nicolaitans next week is because we're, we're running a long time. But the other reason is because and this is probably a reason why we would have done it even if we weren't running a long time. It's that um, honestly, we don't know what to, to do with the Nicolaitans until the next 
the next paragraph is going to give us more clues about what the Nicolaitans taught and what who they were, what was their sin, and we're going to see that because they're they're spoken about later. Um, that's actually actually not not next section, but the section after, um, in conjunction yeah. with the the Balaamite um, heresy, which mm, right. Um, that's where we actually get some hint at what they were teaching. Um, so really, we don't have anything to go go by right now, but we're going to have something to go by later. Um, right. We just know that whatever it is, Christ hates it. Um, uh, and then we have the last two phrases, which are um, usually flipped, but here we get um, uh, the other way. The one... Having ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is an interesting thing. This is an interesting thing. First of all, the one who has an ear, let him hear. That is a a very a, prof- a prophetic um, phrase. Um, when Isaiah comes to preach to um, Israel, he comes both to reveal and to conceal. That in his preaching, he will reveal the truth to the remnant and his preaching will also serve to harden the hearts of the, the what we would call reprobate uh, using New Testament language. But the ones of Israel who were not um, supposed to be called and Jesus uh, continues that. And in fact, there's there's a common misconception about why Jesus taught in parables. A lot of times people talk about parables and say it's because he was teaching um, cute little object lessons. And this is why we have uh, sermon illustrations, as I often hear, even from good. So that farmers understand. He taught taught about farming so that farmers could understand it. And that sounds really great, uh, except that Jesus explicitly says otherwise. Um, It's the opposite of what he says. (laughs) In fact, he explicitly says otherwise. In fact, in his first parable in Mark... Matthew and Luke, the parable of the sower, he interrupts the metaphor uh, or, or interrupts his explanation of the metaphor to say, the reason I preach in parables is so that hearing they will not hear and seeing they will not see lest they should repent and be saved. And he's quoting Isaiah there. Jesus preaches in parables so that the one having ears would hear. The ones who believe, the ones who are the remnant, they would hear. And the ones who don't will be further hardened in their sin. In fact, it, it is, it's interesting that it is paired with a sermon where a farmer throws out his seed and three-fourths of it goes in bad places where they were never going to grow. And that is the, 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 the metaphor he says, the seed is the word of God, the soils and and uh, the soils are clearly the believers and the plant is what comes of the sea soil. And he is saying that I am preaching this way. I am preaching in parables both to reveal to those who are of the remnant, those who are of faith, who are of God. We could call them the elect and also to conceal from those who are uh, reprobate. And so what do we have here? We have here an apocalypse. A revelation. But who's it going to reveal to? It's going to reveal to he who has an ear to hear. 
the one having an ear to hear. They will hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who does not have an ear to hear, what will they hear? Well, we, we know this because we have hundreds of examples of people who've read the book of Revelation without an ear to hear, and they've come up with hundreds of different explanations for it. Um, not all of them are reprobate. Let's be clear about that. Um, there's people who are mis just confused, who are followers of Jesus, but are confused or looking for something that's not there. But um, th we find this book, in the prophetic statement of, there is a revelation to those who hear with faith, but there is a hardening to those who hear without faith. And that's what's going on here. And... Uh, that's important. And were you going to talk about the parallel with um, Psalm 115? Uh, no. But I, I, so what you got in, in Psalm in Psalm 115, he's he's uh, um, that's the one that starts with uh, um, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name oh. be the glory. Um, but unlike the unlike the modern worship song, it um, it uh, it, it doesn't continue words. quite the same way. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It has more words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, uh, it's uh, it, so it's why should. Why should the nations or the or the the Gentiles say, "Where is their God?" Um, our God is in heaven; He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are made of silver and gold. Yeah, they're made by man. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, hands but cannot touch, feet but cannot walk. They cannot even clear their throats. Those who make them will end up like them, as will everyone who trusts in them. So, and this is so the psalmist. Book, this is another book by Beale that book takes by that same. GK Beale. <laughs> yeah, GK yeah. Beale has another um, name after this. Yeah, um, and this is this is by the way uh, that section is kind of repeated in Psalm one thirty five. Um, as well, um, but uh, uh, is uh, so that um, that serving idols makes you like them in yes. that you can have ears and yet be unable to hear. No. You can have eyes and yet be unable to see because you're becoming like the idols you serve. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, and so the uh, um, so I, um, I think I think that's I think that's part of uh, part of what Jesus is doing here, too, is is uh, um, is don't be and, and, the, and the you become like what you worship will be a theme later in Revelation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, as well. Um, but I, yeah. but I think, I think we've got a, a hint of it here because of those, yeah. uh, those passages from Psalm and from, from the Psalms that, uh, um, uh, that would have been, you know, this is the hymn book. This is the hymn book of, 
the the Jewish people um, and of the Christian Church. Um, and you've got you've got two different songs that have the same <laughs> the same uh, the same little tune <laughs> in them, which is which uh, uh, goes on at length about having ears and not being able to hear. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's a, I think that's a reference that, uh, yeah. Um, um, that he's expecting, expecting people to catch well. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And this, but, and, and that's the first part of it. And this is a, a repetition that we're going to find in each letter. So we're introducing something that's going to come in each letter. So it's good to speak broadly about it, but this is a statement. First of all, it's a statement to all the churches yeah. in the midst of a one letter. It's a statement to those who hear, like you say, the ones who have actually have a hear to hear, ear to hear. Um, and it says what the spirit says to the churches. But it's Jesus Correct. speaking. It's Jesus speaking. Mm-hmm. And he says what this is what the spirit says to the churches. This is an important, what we would say, uh, a picture of how Christ speaks to the church. How does Christ speak to the church? He does so through his spirit that he pours out that's right on the people. And so how do we, where, where do we see Christ walking in? We see Christ walking in the midst of the temp of the lampstands and the sevenfold lampstands, which are all lit by seven fires, which are all fueled by the seven angels, which all flow through the sevenfold spirit. Like this is all connected. The sevenfold spirit the seven spirits, the seven angels, the seven lampstands. This is all connected. That Christ's word goes forth. The word that is like a roaring water goes forth into the seven lampstands through his spirit. The spirit of God that brings it. That is the one who brings his word. And so uh, the reason the lampstand ceases to be there is because the spirit has been removed from it. This is the church mm-hmm. is the presence of God on earth. We are the people of the spirit. When the spirit, which is within us and among us is removed, we cease to exist. We are a people defined by the word and the spirit, the spirit speaking through the word and the word being used to call upon the help of the spirit. This is what we do. And this is who, who the church is. And so how does Jesus speak to the church? He speaks to the church through the spirit, speaking through the word of God, uh, speaking through the prophets of God who have written the inspired word of God. And, uh, and so this is why if you try and uh, you try and separate Jesus speaking in the red letters and Jesus speaking in the black letters, you're wrong. You're wrong. Jesus speaks in the black letters as well. Black letters of Jesus, yes. and by which I don't just mean the action verbs of the Gospels. I mean the book of Romans is the word of Jesus. The book of Ephesians is the word of Jesus. The book of Colossians, the book of Jude, the book of Revelation is the word of Jesus. Just because it's not red letter does not make it any less the words of Jesus, which is probably a reason to think about maybe putting away your red letter Bible. I didn't say throw it away. There's uses for it. In other words, <laughs> you give it to someone who literally has no other option, but maybe let's put away that practice of red letter Bibling. I think it's not sending the right message. I think 
whatever the intentions were, it is being, it is not succeeding in the, in the, in the, is not succeeding in the intentions and is, is in fact having many unintentional consequences that we might want to walk away from. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not as strong on that condemnation as other things, but, (laughs) uh, but the word of the spirit is the word of Jesus is the word of the spirit and vice versa. And then to the one who conquers, this is another thing that we find in every single one. And yet there's a different thing attached to the one who conquers to the conquering ones, mm-hmm. to the overcoming ones, the victorious ones. I will give to him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God paradise. That word um, it's the paradiso. Um, the, uh, the, the paradiso of, of Dante, where they goes into heaven. And, and this is literally comes from, we first find it in the book of Ezekiel in the, 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 the LXX speaking of the Septuagint, speaking of the garden of God, the paradise is the garden of Eden. That is what paradise is the first paradise and yet um, it, it came to be another name for what was also called in, in scriptures, the bosom of Abraham, where the faithful would go when they died to await the second, uh, to await the resurrection for those who believed in the resurrection, which um, they were right. And we know that because Jesus endorsed their belief by his own resurrection from the dead. Um, but that is where the, the, the garden of God, the paradise of God. And uh, we can't talk about this without going to two other texts. The first <laughs> one is, of course, the first paradise. The first paradise. Revelation, or sorry, not Revelation. <laughs> this is Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Uh, God rests on the seventh day and then that ends the first creation narrative and then it zooms in on day six Um, that's what chapter two is is really just zooming in on day six and and a little and thereafter and he sets up uh, what does he do okay so there's no man to work ground and the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, a paradise in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord, made, Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, um, this is one of the most important narratives because it sets the groundwork for everything that follows. So, uh, and, 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 uh, we get, we can go at this at length or we can just leave it up. You can pause it here and read it for yourself. But basically what happens, what happens is God gives him a woman as a helper fit for him. Um, and as is often the case, when the man sees his perfect woman, he erupts into poetry and, uh, there's a marriage. The two become one flesh, but things did not say perfect. In fact, there was a command right there in the midst of the garden. There's a, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a bad tree? No, because there is no bad trees in the garden. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was all very good. Everything was good, even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree and the fruit were good. What was wrong about it? What was wrong about it was not the tree. It was that God had commanded them not to eat of it. Maybe it was a good that they were never intended to have. Maybe it was a good that they weren't intended to have yet. Maybe it was a situation where they needed to learn how to use the training wheels before they could ride the bike. We don't know the mind of God. He never tells us. We only know one thing. They did not follow the rules. The serpent comes along. The serpent who scripture later tells us is a vessel of the, of the Satan, the great dragon, the evil one, the, the, the devil, the tempter of the people. And he tempts the tempter of the people of God. He tempts the woman. Uh, by twisting God's words and causing her to doubt God's word. And then she takes and eats of the fruit and she gives it also to her husband who is with her, um, doing what many sinful men have done in the world, which is passively sit back and watch their wives run headlong into evil and never fights for her and for her purity. And so he takes... And he eats as well. And the eyes of both are opened, just like Satan said that it would be. He said, hey, you eat it, your eyes will be opened. What are you going to see? They see that they're naked. They see their lack. They see that something is lacking. They were never ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There was nothing ever lacking. But Satan has twisted the world, twisted their vision of the world. And so they sew fig leaves together. And they hear the sound of the Lord coming in the garden, the cool of the garden of the day. And then we have the condemnation, the, 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 the questioning, uh, an un, uh, un, unstable internet connection, uh, a twist, a, oh. a, a questioning <laughs> of scripture, or, or of, of, sorry, of the questioning from, from Adam, of Adam and Eve by God. The condemnation of them. And this is all important stuff. I know I'm just skimming it. It's it's unfortunate. I wish we could spend more well, time with it. So the tree the tree is mentioned again though. Uh, but in a uh, yes, yeah. Um, okay, that's where you headed. <laughs> but in the end, they are one of the things that is hap- that happens is they are driven from the garden. They are driven away from the garden. They are kicked out. Behold, the man has become like one of us. In knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the God, it's like it's, it's such a concept that he does. It's such a terrifying concept. that He doesn't even want to finish a sentence. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Drove the man and the, drove out the man and the, and at the east of the garden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We've been ba- our banishment from Eden is a banishment from the tree of life. The tree of life was the great thing of Eden that is the most of our sorrow as we are dreaming of return to Eden and and so much of Christian uh, of of human history has been an attempt to return to Eden by our own designs. By our own methods. Mm. The whole 
Tower of Babel was an attempt to reach into the heavens and get back to the tree of life. Um, scientific innovation to extend the life of humanity, to, to attain immortality, all an attempt to get back to the garden, to the paradise of God, where the tree of life is. But there is no rest. There is no release. And yet, in the midst of the sorrow, this veil of tears, as we call it, God still shows his mercy. They are naked and they're aware of their nakedness. And so what does God do? Verse 21, he made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He offers the first sacrifice in biblical history. He executes an animal, kills an animal, and clothes them with its skins. There's a covering of a sacrifice in the first. And of course, there's even more important. There's a promise of a greater sacrifice. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, your seed, singular, and her seed, singular. He shall bruise your head or crush, and you shall bruise his heel. You will strike his heel, he will crush your head. And that's what happens on the cross. The, the devil bruises the heel of the Son of Man, the Son of the Woman, the perfect seed of Abraham and of the woman, and she, but he crushes the head of the devil. And yet, there is no return to Eden. There is no return to the tree of life until. Right. Well, until yeah. The so the way, to, the way I was going to put it is that the that one of the greatest results of the fall is God's greatest, God's most precious private property. He has to. Oh yeah. He has to. He, he has to guard <laughs> um, to prevent to prevent us from. Uh, accessing um, his most precious private property um, that 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 um, like like you say the even even the thought of these rebels <laughs> accessing accessing the the tree of life is now unthinkable um, to God but but he has this intention of making a way back to it, which is where we're headed. And how dare he? How dare he withhold it from us? We libertarians should know better. We know that a person can do whatever they want with their property. If he tells us you right. stay out of that room, we stay out of that room. He said, you do not eat of this tree. We do not eat of this tree. And because we failed to follow the rules of the house, we are banished from it forever. Well, not forever, because there will come a time when those, the ones who overcome, the ones who are victorious, that is those who endure to the end. It's a promise all the way at the end of the book. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and, the, and of the lamb th through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the, okay, well, that's, a lot of metaphors from Ezekiel. Uh, we will come back to yeah. that in 20 years. <laughs> also, 
that's a taste for for what we'll, we'll for what we'll talk about in our podcast from the nursing home. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit. Twelve being, of course, the number for the twelve disciples and the twelve uh, tribes of Israel. The, the, it's a number for the people of God. With twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will be there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Ooh, that feels like that's going to be an important detail later. And night will be mm-hmm. no more. <laughs> and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun. Isaiah reference for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. There's a return to Eden. Except better. Except better. better. So we didn't read the part where the sun was established in Eden, but, but you've got, it's designed even better than Eden. There is no need for sun. So one of the one of the big gifts of Eden was the sun. <laughs> but there's no need for sun here because the Lord God will be their light. Um and and so you had a river and you had a tree in Eden or well you had four rivers, sorry. And you had a tree in Eden. Um but now you have this great river and the tree is on somehow on both sides of this river. And it doesn't just have a fruit; it has twelve fruits, which, as you say, is the uh, the the twelve apostles and the twelve tribes of Israel. Which I think, not coincidentally, is what you take what you get when you take three, as in like a threefold God, and match it with four, which is the fullness of the earth. So, sure, God fills the earth. How? With 12 tribes? That was the plan. With 12 apostles? That's how it happens. Eventually, he fills the earth so that so that God so that the the fullness of God comes and fills the fullness of the earth three times four, 12. Um, I I think that's what I think that's the significance of. um, But uh, anyway, but so it's uh, but it's it's um 12 kind of kinds of fruit which is happens to be one one for each month and then and then the leaves not even the leaves are no great shakes in in eden i mean they're probably great but they don't they don't merit a mention but then even its leaves heal the nations here yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a it's it's like ramping everything up to where everything's gotten unimaginably better even yes. from eden which, which is supposed to be as perfection, <laughs> um, but the, uh, um, but the, um, that God has made His dwelling place with man, in 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 such a full and complete way, that it's that it's almost unimaginably better than Eden, even. I think that's a theme that we see throughout all scripture um, again and again 
is the end is better than the than the redemption is better than even the pre-fall. The the you know like even what what was before the fall is cannot compare mm-hmm. to what will be. I think of 1 Corinthians 15 where the the verse says for Adam was created a living a living being but he Christ became a life-giving spirit. And mm-hmm. what is he saying? What when he says Adam was a living being, he is mentioning his creation. This is him before the fall. He's saying that so often the scripture does uh um contrast Adam and Christ being in Adam and being in Christ and the one in Adam as being the one in the fall because we've all inherited Adam's sin nature and yet here yet there in 1 Corinthians 15 he goes beyond the fall to being in Adam even in his creation he was a living being that is the word that's the phrase that God u- uses to speak of him having the breath of life in him no sin, he is a living being, but Christ is better than even that. Christ is better than even the pre-fall man. He's a life-giving spirit. For we were born a physical, Adam was a physical being. Uh, a uh, He had a physical body, a soma sukikon, uh, a physical body. That is him from birth. That is him pre-fall. That is us whether we're saved or not, we have a psychic body, a physical body. But Christ will give us a soma pneumaticon, spiritual body, a body that is that is animated and controlled and powered fully by the Spirit of God. And this is a better thing than we ever would have had had we not fallen. And so it's almost like God had an intention that he was going to use the fall to accomplish his better purposes. Hmm. 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 <laughs> well, right. We crushed this passage. I'd say there is uh I would say that there is nothing more to say about this. I think uh, anyone who tries to add to what we've said is just, uh, just you know, overdoing it. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Okay, I, I thought I thought you were I thought you were gonna skim down the, to the end of uh, chapter 22 here and get a little heretical on that on us there. Oh and no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who tries to add what we said, may all the curses of this book. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I'm saying. <laughs> There's nothing more to add to this. GK Beale, who thought you needed to write a whole nother commentary. No, <laughs> no, but, but this was, uh, I think we've, we've, uh, we've covered this Ephesian letter and we're going to, we're, we're going to come back to a lot of these images throughout the whole rest of the book. As I, as we've said, and obviously you've just seen, um, we just skimmed the surface of what this passage says in, 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 Revelation 22, by the time we get to it, finally, we're going to have 21 chapters worth of images to pile on to this. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to be great. But, um, 
but we've we've about covered what we can say for this section and i i don't know i i hope you're already seeing now um in in, in this this little two ver- in these two episodes of where we just started chapters two and three how much um these verses are more than this these verses are more than just a parenthesis these are essential understanding for us to understand the book of revelation for us to understand our own place in god's world and um and it's going to set up important things for later um as we continue taking anarchy to church through the Mm -hmm. book of revelation and uh, we're, we're going to see some interesting things uh, about uh, s- <laughs> the uh, separation of church and state and things for, for, for one thing. We're going to see some of that coming up. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the dangers of the intermingling of the two spheres. Um, but yeah, do you have anything left to add to, to this section? I, I think I... I'll just say, um, aspire to be a bishop. Do not aspire to be a henchman. And I'll let people understand that oh, and how they oh, will. Oh, oh. Let he who has ears to hear. <laughs> let he who has ears to hear. That's what we'll say about that. If he... <laughs> oh. And to the one who overcomes. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to say we won, but uh, I don't know. Feels like a lot of winning happened. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to call it into this episode, and we thank you so much for, for joining us. And, and uh, for those of you who've been joining us for a while now, thank you for sticking with us. For those of you who are coming new, thank, uh, welcome. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to end it with the way we always do, by reminding you to... Click the like button, subscribe, share it with everyone, share it with your friends uh, who who you want to bring the joy of share, of, share it, share it with your enemies. I mean, how much share, better right. to turn your enemies into friends? We've that's talked right. about how the uh, right. amazing grace of Jesus can turn around right. uh, wolves into sheep, into shepherds. Uh, yeah. So how much better than to share it with your enemies yeah. um, and and. And uh, and uh, perhaps it will it will lead them to repentance. Yeah, that's right. Uh, share it with your friends who are uh, share it with your friends who are libertarians but not Christians to see that you that uh, see that and uh, share it with your friends who are Christians but not libertarians to see how we're I don't know just you know share it with everybody. Call your mom. Tell your mom like hey. Uh, I know that uh, you're a normie Trump conservative, but this might be a lot of fun for you. Um, (laughs) If nothing else, you can hate watch these guys. I don't care. The algorithm registers your watch anyway. Uh, (laughs) And if you're subscribing, if you're a listener, uh, be sure to rate and subscribe. Share there as well. Uh, We thank you for however you're listening or watching. but make sure that you, yeah, yeah, click all the good buttons, ignore all the bad buttons, um, and tell everyone good old fashioned word of mouth. Share it on your Facebook, share it on your Twitter, share it on your minds, whatever you're on. 
Uh, and, uh, and of course, most importantly, uh, join us next week when we take anarchy to church. Yeah. Cause Bible study grace and peace. Grace and peace.